to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and today we're going to talk about uh, more business continuity, crisis management, emergency response uh, topics. And I've got something specific in mind today that I want to address uh, before we get there. As always, I'd like to invite everybody that's listening, if you want to talk about a specific subject on the show, please feel free, send an email, uh, you can uh, Go to the voiceamerica.com website and on the page for the show, um, there's a button that says uh, send email to host. That'll come through to me. Let me know what you want to talk about, you know, and we'll see about uh, finding a time where we can chat and uh, put some sort of an agenda together and uh, we can talk on the show. Or if uh, you don't want to be in the show, but there's a topic you want to have addressed, do the same thing and just let me know. Hey, you know, I'd like to hear something about XYZ subject and I'll start uh, hunting around and see if I can find someone to come on the show and talk about it. So please feel free to do that. You know, I do want to get all this information out to you. This show is for you. So please feel free to do that. Today, I'm going to talk about a forgotten team that gets mentioned in a lot of uh, crisis management team structures uh, or disaster team structures, um, whatever uh, moniker you want to use. It tends to get forgotten about because it's not an upfront team. And that is the salvage and uh, recovery team. Now, with most, uh, with usually all crisis management team structures, you have your leadership teams, you know, your technology teams or logistics and communications, each with assigned representatives uh, with their roles and responsibilities and backups and contact information. And for the most part, many, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully all those teams and those people and the roles and responsibilities have all been documented and validated through some sort of uh, testing, you know, on a continuous basis, not just a one-time thing, of course, and they're maintained. Now, if you look at a lot of crisis management team structures, you'll find at some point, you know, there is a salvage team. But a lot of times, and I've run into this uh, almost everywhere, and it's kind of a valid point, you know, the salvage team tends to get forgotten about and left to the very end and doesn't really get a lot of attention. And one of the reasons being is that the salvage team really only comes into play in some you know, worst case situations where you've had, you know, possibly fires or, you know, some sort of smoke damage, uh, water damage. Um, something along the lines that prevents people from going back into the building uh, for some duration of time. And you've set up your operations in another location, whether it be within your own offices or at a third-party location. So, and, and you obviously don't test um, you know, the salvage team. You know, uh, and I'll get into some of their roles and what, what you need to consider you know, as we go forward. That doesn't get tested because we're busy testing the upfront stuff. The, you know, how do we rebuild our mainframe, get our applications up and running, you know, our networks, uh, our voice, 
you know, all our applications, our data, of course, you know, our people, you know, our users that come in and have to, uh, you know, work in different locations with different machines, you know, uh, or maybe even have to travel. So the salvage team tends to drop down to the bottom. Now, there's some challenges with the salvage team other than uh, being at the kind of the bottom end of the crisis management team, because we're not sure who would actually make up that team. For the most part, a lot of those people are already involved with other recovery and restoration efforts. You know, you don't have people that are assigned to the salvage team per se, because possibly some of the management and the leaders of those teams are part of other uh, crisis management teams. One could be in charge of communications. An HR person could be in charge of something else. And while you've got IT personnel, obviously, involved with IT activities. So they're not worrying too much about going to a, a facility that they can't get into right away or that has been damaged to find out, oh, what are we going to salvage? So trying to determine who's going to be on that team is difficult. You know, do you use some existing people, you know, that are on the crisis management team who are already in a crisis or a disaster situation have a role to play themselves? You know, if, if you want the communications person involved with the salvage team, as an example, uh, they may not be readily available to, to work on that team because obviously they're busy with the communications you know, that are already in existence, whether that be you know, speaking with the media or um, sending updates uh, through social media, you know, radio interviews, you know, television interviews, uh, print journalists. They could be busy with a lot of that, including communications to employees, customers, you know, partners. They're, they're busy there. Where are they going to find the time to become a part of a salvage and restoration team to look for, you know, file cabinets or computers and things like that that could be uh, repurposed and, and used again. So you got to consider who's going to be on these teams. If you've got a, uh, a workforce that has been uh, partially told to stay home and wait for further instructions, you could be able to use some of those people that have been told to stay home. You know, they may not be required to do uh, non-critical functions at an alternate site or at another, uh, whether that be a third-party site or your own. They could be utilized to be members of a crisis team to go to the facility, the affected facility and, you know, go through and salvage what can be salvaged for, for the organization. If it's management that are already in existence, uh, you know, or already being leveraged for crisis management teams, then for a lot of them, they're not going to be able to do that very well. So you do need to consider up front who would make up this team. And for for some, it's going to have to be, you know, some management are going to have to be involved because there's going to have to be some leadership and coordination and communication back to, you know, the crisis management team leads to let them know what's going on, what's, you know, some of the issues you're encountering, you know, so they can help remove some of those roadblocks for your team. And it may have a combination of people that 
are not required to be at alternate sites or you know and are staying home so there's going to have to be some coordination and determination ahead of time who that's going to be and just like you know a crisis management team leader um, the head of communications the head of hr the head of uh, it whatever their situation is whatever their role is in the crisis management team you need to make sure that with the salvage team, their roles and responsibilities are documented out so they can follow. You know, they're not just going to show up at a facility, you know, because you called them and said, go and have a look, you know, see what you can salvage. Well, that's not going to work. You know, what's their role? What part are they going to play? Some people may do one role, another may be responsible for something else. They may only be focusing on one piece of the salvage, you know, only one person focused on file cabinets, as an example, and another on printers, and another on desktops that may have been left behind. Um, and another aspect of that, too, with salvage is Depending on the situation, there could be a lot of personal effects still in that office. How are you going to handle that? Is that going to be a responsibility of the salvage team? Because they may be the only ones who eventually will be inside that building. Now, you need to consider some of the privacy concerns. What if someone has left their wallet there? Um, a, a purse is left or a briefcase, uh, not that you see lots of briefcases these days, but you know, a briefcase or um, a laptop bag that may contain people's personal information. Somebody could have their passport in there because they were going to be going on a business trip or that they do take a lot of business trips. With that kind of information, you definitely are going to want someone involved with privacy or security or human resources, whoever's responsible for that type of uh, information, you know, to you know, protect employees, to be a part of that team. Well, are you going to have someone on from human resources or privacy, you know, available? You know, and sometimes, obviously, that's going to be dictated by the situation itself, how severe it is. If you've had a major fire, well, maybe all that information is gone anyway, unfortunately, um, or it's been destroyed because of uh, sprinklers or fire hoses or foam, depending on the situation. But still, if not, smoke damage, and I, I'm speaking from an, instant, an instance that I know of that happened, uh, I guess it would be a year a year ago in downtown Toronto that I had heard um, that some personal effects were left and they had to have someone from HR, you know, available anytime anyone walked into this affected area, they couldn't have employees walk through uh, because there was uh, dust and smoke damage and they couldn't have people just wander through. But when someone did have to go through they made sure that there was an HR person there because there were still some personal effects on people's desks. You know, and, and as I mentioned, you know, briefcases or laptop bags, purses, you know, things that they couldn't go back to their desks for. They had they were told and led out of the area as the situation unfolded, so they couldn't you know, run back to their desk, which we shouldn't do anyway. You know, if there's a fire, you know, we all know you don't run into the fire. You know, hopefully we don't. Um, so you you need to have all of these considerations of who who is going to make up 
the team and what responsibility they're going to have. You know, you may have one person who's just involved with picking up personal effects, like I mentioned, you know, and passing that on to, you know, the, the, the person who doesn't have their purse or their laptop bag, you know, um, or the wallet that was sitting on the desk or under the desk or, or their jacket or something like that. So you need to determine all the various roles that are going to make up this team, where they're going to come from, you know, uh, existing crisis management team members, you know, whether it be the, the management part of it or um, available employees, which, again, depending on the situation, time of year, in summer, there may be less people available. If it happens over Christmas when people are away, they're going to have less people. So you have to also have a way of contacting all of these individuals. Crisis management teams, I know everybody has seen them and you probably all have it, is you have all these people identified and you've got their contact information and if you need them, you can obviously send out blast messages, you know, either with your cell or uh, an application, you know, whatever device you have, whatever uh, method you use, do you have the same to be able to reach beyond that? You know, people that are not part of crisis management teams, the rest of your employee base. You know, you may even need to be able to contact vendors or partners that have to come into the building because if somebody, let's say you th- you contract out a cafeteria or you contract out something else in your 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 building, you know, a security office, you know, with different people, you know, an outside company that look after your security, you still have to be able to reach them as well because they've got to come into the building. They, you know, the people that own the cafeteria want to wanting to see what damage has been done to their equipment. You know, what can they get a hold of? You know, they're, they're your partner and you've got to be transparent with them and keep them involved. And so you need to figure out all those different aspects. And which is probably why, you know, like I, I call it the salvation, salvation, <laughs> the salvage and restoration team gets forgotten about. You know, it, it it's obviously comes in uh, later in your planning and your um, response phases, but at the same time, it gets forgotten about because of some of the different aspects that get involved with it. So you need to know who's going to make it up, what their roles and responsibilities are, how you're going to contact them, you know, and when. You know, the, the when is just because you've had a disaster does not mean that the very next day you're going back into your building. That's not the case. You know, if you've had a, a worst case situation and you're at a third party location or another um, office uh, within your organization, whether it be just a, a, you know, a single floor or high rise building or, you know, a data center, you know, out in the suburbs somewhere, you still need to know when you're going to get back into that affected building because you, you know, it could take a day or two to get uh, settled is not quite the right word because you know you're after a disaster you're not really in any sort of uh, normal mode but you need to know when you're going to get back to that building because after the first couple of days of a disaster people are still settling in you know, finding out, you know, where their new desks are, you know, their new security passes, you know, parking, you know, how they get there in the morning, you know, whether it be subway or, or train or bus or um, sharing a ride or driving, you know, how everything is different for a lot of people. And 
you've got crisis management leaders who may be working extra long shifts, you know, even employees too, if they're rebuilding a mainframe or, you know, validating systems and restore, you know, it really depends on the situation you've got, of course. But you need to determine how and when you're going to get back into that building. And I'm going to be right back with some thoughts that are going to come into play that it's uh, not just as easy as, well, we're up and running in this facility, so let's go look at our other one. We'll be right back in just a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In fitness and health, we all deserve a second chance. Join host Michael Skog for the program, You Only Stronger. You always have the ability to start fresh, even if you slip up on your diet or fitness program. Even small steps taken throughout the day can help. Each show will conclude with weekly assignments that you can use and will want to hear your feedback. You Only Stronger airs live Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Uh, Today we're talking about the forgotten team within the crisis management uh, structure, and that's the salvage and recovery team. Now, in the first segment, I was talking about how you contact everyone, uh, who needs to be involved, and how you determine who's going to be involved. And in this segment, we're going to talk about getting back into the affected facility, um, which I started to uh, chat about at the end of our first segment. It's not as easy as a lot of people think. When you do have a serious situation, you do have to wait for you know investigations to occur. You know, it could be police or the fire marshal, uh, depending on you know the situation and what needs to be involved. 
Um, there could be health services. Again, you know, it comes down if it was a pandemic outbreak or something along those lines. You're going to have different agencies who are going to want to walk through that building and inspect and make sure that everything is okay. If you've had a major fire and or, or some sort of uh, structural damage, they're not going to allow people just to walk in that building, you know, and have a beam or a roof or a door fall on them. You're going to have to wait for all that to occur. Now, it's obviously, it's going to be very different depending on the situation, uh, location, the size of facility, you know, the uh, extreme uh, circumstances that surround the, you know, the disaster and that have uh, impacted the facility that are going to determine, you know, how long that takes. You know, the larger facility, the, more it's, the longer it's probably going to take. If you've had a, a large high-rise, you know, multiple floors that are affected, well, then, you know, inspectors are going to want to go through all of every floor, every corner of that building to make sure it's safe for people to come back in. And then not, not just the, the first responders or the civil authorities, but then you've got your insurance. Your insurance uh, groups are probably going to want to come in and have a look. You know, oh, we've had a fire and we've lost everything. Well, we all know insurance doesn't always work that way. You know, they can walk through, oh, you can still use this, you can still use that. I know that from personal experience. So, you know, they want to do their inspection as well. So now you've got the civil authorities, you know, uh, going through and fire marshals, etc. You've got insurance that want to come go through. You know, and you have to wait for all of them to give the thumbs up that you can go in. It can take, you know, it could take days. So if you've had a disaster where you've had a facility that has been impacted like that, and you're, you've now taken a few days to set up in an alternate site, whether it be your, your own or a third party, you still have to wait for them, you know, to go through that. So you never really know when to activate your salvage uh, restoration team. They could be activated within three days. You could be activating after a week. But back to my first uh, points at the beginning of, of the show, you still need to know who you're going to contact and how you're going to. So when they get that approval, then you're able to go through the building and do what you need to do. But you can, they're not going to let you in. You know, and an, another consideration is if it's a wide scale situation where you know a community or a neighborhood has been affected, your building may not be, but you still may not get the okay to go in, you know, and have a look around just to make sure nothing is, is, is affected, you know, whether it be an earthquake, you know, a floods, could be anything, you know, neighborhood, your neighbor, you know, the the. The uh, company next door to you may have had a big disaster situation. And because of maybe chemicals that were released or the damage that was done, you still can't go back into your building. You know, there's smoke damage. Your build, it, building is relatively fine. You know, you should be able to go in, but all the streets are blocked off and you're not allowed in. And that includes your insurance as well. You know, assessors, they can't go in, you know, until the thumbs up is, yes, you can go back in that building. There can be many reasons not not to uh, be allowed in that area. You know, the community could block it off. The building could be blocked off. You, If you're in a high-rise and it's just a couple of floors, well, there could be a couple of floors. You know, 
everybody uh, on the 20th floor above can go in, but nobody uh, you know, from 19 down can, or the opposite, depending again on the situation. But when you do, then there are other considerations you want to take into account. You know, depending on what's happening and the situation, and if there are still, um, let's say, police presence around or security around, heightened security uh, because of the situation, the people that are going to your site to perform salvage activities, they're going to need passes, you know, parking passes or security passes. Um, chances are their existing ones may not work, you know, if things are shut down in the building. Uh, so they, they're going to need the temporary passes so they can get in. If if parking you know, requires a pass, that may need to be monitored or either a temporary pass or you just lift up the arm and let everybody in and out at, at will. You know, that's going to be uh, the, the facility manager's call or the property manager's call, depending on you know the, the building you're in. Once they are, that has been taken care of, that they have a place to go, park, you know, and how to get there and where they can enter the building. Because under those situations, you may not have um, every entrance open for people to come in. You may control that and reduce, uh, let's say, uh, four large exits down to two, you know, or only one for entrance, but the other four people can leave, of course. Uh, so there are those considerations to, to have in play as well. And those people are going to need to know if they're coming at one entrance and they can't get into the building, it's not going to make your crisis management team leads look pretty good. They're going to say, you know, why are these guys sending me here and I can't do anything? You know, what's going on? And that only creates frustration. And once it starts in one spot, that trickles on down into other spots, right? Depending on the situation, again, all these people that now can park, can get into the building, the situation may dictate that they need specific equipment. If you've got smoke damage, um, uh, water damage, uh, anything that could harm uh, breathing, they may need masks. You know, uh, the surgical masks um, during the pandemic outbreaks, and you saw them a lot in Toronto and uh, uh, Hong Kong and um, uh, Vancouver with the SARS outbreak uh, years back. A lot of people were wearing those uh, surgical uh, masks, you know, to protect themselves. They may, your employees may need those, you know, as they re-enter the, the facility. You know, if there's smoke everywhere, you know, and dust on, on tables, you know, that's not going to be good for their breathing. You're going to want some sort of a mask for them. And depending on the structural integrity, and hopefully it's nothing too severe, um, otherwise you wouldn't be sending anybody in there, but if there is some chance of structural damage, you know, where first responders and the fire marshal and inspectors have said, you know, you've got to be careful um, in such and such area of the building because there are loose beams, you know, fine, you're not going to go into that situation or, or in that area of the building. But at the same time, you may need to provide hard hats for employees in case something does happen. You know, if one beam falls, it could bring down other 
spots, you know, of the roof or a wall or something. So people are going to want to be protected. You know, it's you see all the construction people out there, you know, building buildings or, uh, you know, laying down new tar for roads and, you know, various constructions. And they've all got, you know, the proper uh, masks or eyewear or hats, gloves, uh, vests to identify themselves, you know, um, and boots, you know, foot, footwear is important as well, you know, especially if, you know, there is some sort of damage and, you know, there's uh, bits of wood or tile or glass on the floor. Well, you're, you're not going to let somebody walk in there with sandals, you know, open-toed uh, sandals or flip-flops, you know, they're going to have to have the right footwear. And that could be something that determines who's available on your salvage team, by the way. You know, if somebody doesn't own any kind of uh, footwear, I'm in Canada, so I've always got a, a you know a pair of boots somewhere. You know, whether it be hiking boots or winter boots. You know, so I know I could do it because I've always got the uh, proper footwear. But if somebody lived in Florida where it's you know warm all the time or you know in a warm climate, they may not have boots. You know, they've got nothing but you know sandals and, and flip flops. Well, they can't go into the building if there's broken glass all over the place because they're going to uh, hurt their feet, and then you've got another problem on your hands. So once they get there, you know, you've got to make sure they're protected as well. You know, and there are other items, and once they're there, by the way, you're going to be running um, probably some sort of a shift work. You're getting them to do something different. You're going to have to take into consideration, just as you do, when you've got people working at an alternate location or rebuilding systems, you have to start considering things like their their food. You know, uh, everyone's doing their salvage role here. Um, you know, they're doing whatever it is they've been uh, assigned to do. But at some point, they're going to have a break. And are they going somewhere different, you know, for lunch? Do, are, are you expecting them to bring their own? If they bring their own, hopefully there's power to a fridge for them or a microwave working for them chances are that may not be the case so you may have to consider bringing in food i know some of this probably may sound a little silly but it's actually the little things that will trip you up you know it's simple things like that is what will cause you additional grief and problems and cause frustration with your employees uh, you know that make up your your uh, salvage team so consider those items then once you've got um, them well protected you've got them there they know where they're going they can get into where they're going and out they know what their role is going to be they're protected with uh, hats gloves glasses um, or goggles um, face masks boots whatever the, the the situation calls for you know obviously not every situation is going, going to need all of that but as long as they're ready to go to address the situation. Now they can get started on what it is they need to do. Now what they need to do is a whole new set of roles and responsibilities because each one now is going to have to be somehow versed on what it is that is salvageable and what's not. So you have to have documented a set of criteria as to what makes up something that's salvageable. And for uh, back to the insurance uh, assessor, 
they may have may have made some of that determination for you. If they say, you know what, forget all the IT equipment, it's all going to be replaced and we'll cover it. But we're not covering chairs. Or it could be the opposite. You know, we'll cover chairs, but we're not covering any IT equipment. That's going to let you know what your scope is going to be, right? You're going to know that I don't need to look at any chairs. It's all going in the trash. So nobody worry about that. Just roll them out of the way. What you have to have is documented criteria, though, for everything, because you don't know what is salvageable. What may look salvageable to me and reusable, because I'm cheap, may not be for you. You may not like uh, you know, something that is a little discolored simply because there was smoke on it, but it's all clean now, dusted off, it's fine. I may not care. Oh, that's fine. Just wipe it down again and we'll, we'll keep using it. It's going to be different. You've got to have criteria. You know, if it's you staying with the chair, if it meets ABC criteria, it's salvageable. If D, E, and F occur, it's not. So you have to come well prepared with that so that someone who has been assigned to this team who has never been a part of any kind of crisis management team or any exercise, uh, any test, any other involvement other than, you know, your business continuity, business continuity awareness week uh, materials or um, messages or some sort of, you know, um, whatever initiative you do, they've never been involved beyond that. They're going to have to have everything spelled out for them now that they're suddenly involved with the salvage team. And you've got to make sure you've got copies of that so that they understand it. You may start, uh, before you get started on everything, you may go through that with everybody. You know, it's a, a stand-up team huddle type thing and say, this is what we're going to do. You know, this is how we're going to do it. And this, these are the expectations. These are the time frames we've got. You know, this is the area of the building we're going to look at today because you may not do it all at once. You know, if it's a large building and you don't have a lot of people available, well, you're not going to get through the whole building in one day. If you can, that's great. But, you know, let's be realistic, right? Uh, so you have that to worry about. And once they get started, then there's things they need to uh, look after and take care of and consider more steps for you to have in place. And we're going to talk about that in our last segment. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. 
Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Uh, we're in our last segment and we are talking about the often overlooked and forgotten uh, team of the crisis management team structure, and that is the salvage uh, team. In the first segment, we talked about the roles and responsibilities and who needs to be a part of that. In the second segment, we talked about getting people there and some of the basic expectations right off the front, how you get them there, when you're allowed to get in, you know, if you're allowed to get in. You know, and in this last segment, we're now going to talk about the actual activities that need to be considered by those performing salvage activities and what needs to be determined for them ahead of time and what other considerations need to happen as those activities are occurring. So to start with, and I started to mention this uh, at the end of the last segment, you need to determine your scope. What is it you're going to look at? You know, uh, you may have some human resource uh, personnel there. Obviously, they're going to be focusing, I hope, on any client uh, and employee files, file cabinets, um, because I know many places, if not all these days, have some sort of a fireproof cabinet. You know, you're not going to want just anybody opening up these cabinets and going through personal files of clients, or partners, you know, seeing contracts. You know, or finding out how much their um, their colleague uh, pays and benefits, you know, all that information, that's all private information. So you're probably going to have to determine, okay, this these two people here, because you're both human resources, you're going to be focusing on, you know, uh, file cabinets, as an example. Uh, somebody else may uh, turn around and you'll say, you're going to focus on chairs, you're going to focus on uh, desks and other cabinets, you know, while technology people may focus on um, you know, laptops and desktops and um, the computer room. Hopefully it's not in too bad of shape, but going through there and finding out what cables can they get, what is, 
what racks can they still use? You know, can they salvage any servers? You know, or are they you know damaged beyond repair? So you need to divvy up what your scope is going to be. As I mentioned in the last segment, if your insurance company has already said, you know what, we're we're just going to replace all the chairs, then you don't need to focus on that, right? But again, you're going there. Each of those groups are going to need criteria. How do I know if I can use this again? And you have to, hopefully working with uh, technology people uh, using uh, laptops and desktops as an example, you know, if it is in such and such condition and you can do this and this is still happens, you know, the pretty green lights all come on when you plug it in, then put it over in this pile. If the red light comes on or no light comes on, it goes over in this pile. You know, you have to be able to have that kind of criteria in place. File cabinet, no smoke damage, you know, um, nothing is wrong with it. We can use it. We'll ship it off to wherever it is you want to send it, you know, or get it refurbished or whatever the case may be. You know, if it's got a lot of uh, smoke damage or heat damage, you know, and part of it is melted, well, then that's probably not going to be salvageable. You know, and that's going to be pretty obvious. But you're still going to need to capture that because some people may not, you know, owe a little bit of um, fire damage. That's nothing. I can deal with that. You don't want to have to have people making their decisions on their own. And when they go through this, you may, and hopefully you do, have some sort of an asset list that identifies all the equipment you have they are, each has an asset tag on it. Each cabinet, you know, you may, you may have a uh, a list with, you know, all these laptops. Here's the asset tag, and you may be matching back and forth. Uh, here's the laptop. Here's the asset tag on my list. And sometimes with these asset tags, it also helps you identify where, you know, that laptop or that cabinet was located. And that'll actually give you an idea of, oh, all these assets that are in the west side of the building, you know, are, are damaged. You know, we can't use any of them, but everything on the east side is fine. So these asset tags come in handy. And hopefully you've got a list of everything you, your organization owns in that building. You know, and your people that are part of the salvage team then map that up, you know, together as they find these things. Oh, here's cabinet uh, XYZ. You know, yep, it's in the west side of the building. Um, no, we cannot use it, you know, for whatever, based on the criteria. And they fill all the, you know, you kind of have some sort of a form or some notepad or something they can flag. You know, if you see some disaster, natural disasters, um, when uh, officials go from home to home that have been damaged, sometimes they'll spray paint, you know, a, an X or some sort of a, a marker, you know, whether it be a ribbon um, uh, or a sticker, you know, that lets them know this house has been looked at. And you can do the same thing in, in your office. You know, you can have big uh, yellow unicorn stickers, you know, for all that matters, you know, and stick that on the cabinet saying this is reusable, you know, and a frown saying no, it's not usable. So you need to consider all of that. And that goes for PCs, you know, and cabinets and chairs and, and printers and fax machines, you know, all the, all the equipment that is in there, hopefully it's got some sort of a tag. Now, when your team goes through that list, 
and matching up, you know, I found this asset. Uh, yeah, here it is on the, the list. Here's the criteria I need to look at it for. I can use it or I can't use it. Once that's determined, you also then start having some new sets of criteria and considerations you need to have ready. Let's say you found 20 laptops uh, out of 40. We'll just make it easy. 50% of your laptops, you can use them again. Well, that's great. Wonderful. Now, where are they going? you got to know where you're shipping them to, and that has to be predetermined. You've got to have packing slips, you know, and materials to pack this information, unless you are willing to take the risk of, well, when you find those 20 laptops, put them in the trunk and just drive them somewhere. If you're willing to take that risk, go ahead. You know, that's that's your call. You know, otherwise, you're going to need materials to pack all that up in boxes or cases, whatever the case may be. You may have a third-party uh, courier or shipping company that comes in, picks up that material, you know, and you you sign you sign away that uh, you know they they're taking it. You also have to have somebody on the receiving end. You know, wherever they're receiving it, you know, somebody has to know that they're receiving 20 laptops, you know, and after that, you know, you go through uh, the IT team, let's say, will go through and they refurbish them, re-image them, whatever it is they need to do so that they can leverage them again and use them and put them back into circulation. But there's another consideration there, too, that I just wanted to, to bring up. Sometimes when a disaster occurs, you know, and I, I hear it a lot, you know, if people don't have, you know, spare laptops or desktops or printers or scanners or phones, uh, fax machines, they'll just get the corporate credit card out, go to the local office store, you know, and just purchase, you know, or call somebody up and say, you know, this is what I want, have it delivered. So, if you had a situation, and we'll go back to the 40 laptops, you've now purchased 40 new ones for your uh, alternate location, the site you've just you got up and running again. Now you've got 20 additional. What are you doing You with these extra 20 because you only ever had 40? Now you've got 60. So sometimes you want to consider, you know, if anything is salvageable. And again, that may also come down to assessments from insurance or others saying, we'll cover all, all IT equipment. Everything else is just going to be trashed, you know, or we'll sell them, repurpose them and sell them. Um, we'll, uh, potentially you could even use them and say, you know, we'll, we'll fix these up, we'll get them running, and then we'll give them to staff who can work at home, you know, because you may not have had work at home capability before. But keep in mind uh, that sometimes you could actually end up with more than you anticipated. You know, if you've, when your salvage team says that you've got all this additional equipment, you know, you may have file cabinets at your alternate location. Now you're shipping files over there. So you're going to want to get, you know, the additional file cabinets to the new location to hold these new files that are coming over. And those files are going to be also carefully packaged, especially if they're sensitive uh, files, you know, uh, uh, like client or employee files and things like of that nature. You're going to want to make sure that you've got 
those well protected you know and and by that i mean they're packaged so nobody can get into them nobody can see them you know again because of all the privacy concerns you know you don't want to end up with another uh, disaster on your hand or uh, hands because you know you haven't handled these files correctly so they get shipped as well and the same thing you know, somebody signs for them to ship them, packages them up neatly. you got to know where they're going to. you got to have somebody at the other end receiving them, knowing where to put them. And the same security has to be at the receiving end as well to make sure that, you know, the right information, or sorry, the right protections are in place to protect this information. So you need to make sure that you've got all that in place. Then when people are finished, you know, you go through and uh, you've taken out everything that you can use and you're able to leverage. Now what? You know, uh, do those people just go back home? You know, do they uh, participate in any kind of refurbishment or rebuilding or uh, any kind of other activities? Or do they, by that point, the, the members of the salvage team, it dissolves and those people are slowly brought back into the fold as you revamp, revamp your business back up and your processes up and running again. So you need to have all these things in place. And it's probably why this team gets forgotten about, because it does come at the very end. And not every situation is going to need a salvage team. It could be that um, you know, it's only used in a worst-case situation. But you still need to put some parameters around it, even in a worst case situation, at the very end of your response, you know, uh, to the to the situation. Otherwise, you're going to find you don't have anybody to be a part of this team. They're not going to know what to do, how to do it, where they're going, what they need to do, where just determine on their own, you know, because and if it happens on their own and they're using their own initiative. That could cause you problems because I could, we could look at the same laptop, the same chair, the same set of files, the same cabinet, and I think it's okay, and you don't. So you have to have the, the criteria outlined for everybody as well. So they, everybody's on the same uh, playing field. Everyone is working from the same playbook, and they're all using the same criteria to determine what can be salvaged and what should not be. And by the way, you're not just logging the stuff that you can leverage again and repurpose or and ship to, you know, to a new location or just clean up and continue using. You also want to keep track of what you're not doing you know, and what you're not going to be using. You know, as I mentioned, the, the 40 laptops and the 20 you're keeping, somewhere you're going to identify that there's 20 that aren't. And again, to that asset, asset tag, these are the 20 that we're not using. Right, that we cannot use. So all that needs to be in place. You know, who's on the team, when it gets activated, what their roles and responsibilities are, you know, how they get to where they they need to do and, and what it is they need to do when they get there, you know, to make sure everything is available to them, the criteria, you know, to determine what needs to be salvaged. And when you've determined that, you need to have the steps in place where it's going, how it's going, who's shipping, who's receiving, and putting the right privacy in place to make sure that personal files and personal effects or anything like that are not compromised. So we come to the end, and as I say, this 
this is the team that kind of gets forgotten about because it doesn't get used a lot, obviously. You know, not every disaster situation means smoke damage or floods or fires. You know, in today's world, not everything is, is like that. You know, other disasters occur that, you know, um, can create massive impacts, you know, and it doesn't have to be an earthquake for that to occur. So take a look, see if you have anything like that, you know, in your plans and take into consideration some of these things that I've gone through here. Hopefully they will help you build up uh, a, a salvage team, you know, or put some outlines and parameters around it, you know, fruit for thought and, uh, you know, document that. And if you do ever have a worst case situation where you need it, you know, you've got it. So we've come to the end of the show. And again, if there's any topic or uh, something you would like us to talk about on the show or a guest that wants to be on the show, please feel free. Send me an email, voiceamerica.com. Just go to our page, Preparing for the Unexpected, and there's a little button there to send an email to a host, and that'll come through to me, and I'll be in contact with you directly, and we can take the chat from there. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.